Hi, I'm Guy Kilty. Welcome to another episode of Creative Forces. Thanks to everyone who's listened to the podcast so far and thanks for all the great feedback. If you are enjoying it, please give us a like. Please subscribe in your podcast provider. It would be greatly appreciated. In this episode, I talk to Andrew Block. Andrew is the co-founder and now Group Managing Director of Frank, one of the UK's leading consumer PR agencies, won all sorts of awards, including PR Agency of the Year three times running. Started off with just three people in 2000. Now it's got offices in London, Manchester, Glasgow, Sydney. It's got people like Disney, Volkswagen and Sir Alan Sugar among their clients. In this episode, Andrew talks about all sorts of things, particularly about how he loved art and English at school and how he ended up getting into PR by accident, how he overcame his doubts about starting his own company uh, and how he swapped PR for rent in Frank's first office. There's also a bit of bonus material in this one where Andrew has to tell some of his colleagues to stop playing table tennis in the room next door. I just saw just in the last 24 hours you were named in the PR Week Power Book. Congratulations. Thank you very much. What do you uh, what do you make of of things like that. Is that something that you uh, are pleased to get or, or not too bothered about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a really nice recognition. Um, I always feel very humbled to, you know, not just for myself personally, but for Frank as an agency, you know, every time the phone rings and there's a great client, a great brand that has, has sort of found us, I never take that for granted. And although you know, we've worked very hard to build our reputation over the years. You know, I'm under no delusions that there's lots of other great agencies, great practitioners out there. So, you know, to be singled out personally, to be singled out as an agency is is a really nice recognition for all the hard work and effort that you put in. And I'm guessing it's a pretty, as you say, it's a pretty competitive time in the PR world. Yeah, I mean, I think the times we're in at the moment are, are fascinating. It's it's more competitive than ever in the, really the way the world has changed and uh, consumers and the way they interact with brands, the media landscape. Actually, the importance of creativity and ideas has never been so imperative. And so being an agency that is focused on creative and generating talkability and the buzz that does your best marketing for you. You know, what, where we find ourselves is not just competing against other PR agencies, but against ad agencies, digital agencies, media agencies. So, you know, the stakes are higher, the competitiveness is bigger and bolder than it's ever been before. But it's, it's a great opportunity. And it's also, you know, it's also a threat because if Frank and the, the PR industry in general doesn't wake up and act confidently and boldly then you know there's a there's a real threat that our lunch will get eaten by someone else but I've always had the belief and the confidence that um, we won't and actually PR as a discipline is extremely well placed for the media landscape that we're in so you know it's, it's good times for us and I, I think you know now brands are being talked about without them even being part of the conversation you know they have to either sit on the sidelines or get up and take part in the game. And, and that's what we're all about as an agency. We're about helping brands get into the conversation, to lead it, to drive it, to be a part of it. Okay. Um, and the principles of talkability and buzz marketing, you know, that have never been more relevant and never been more important. You know, brands can't afford to be anonymous and you know in the world that we live in with so much media and advertising and clutter you know you have to fight through the bullshit buffers and penetrate them and get noticed okay so that's the now and the bullshit buffers as you mentioned but just let's take you back a bit to how did you you first sure. get into pr is it right that you started working for lynn franks is that your first the way that you got into to is, PR. Yeah. And just tell us a bit about Lynn Franks as well, for those that don't know who she is. Well, Lynn Franks was an incredible agency. It's, I mean, now more famous for being the inspiration for Absolutely Fabulous, the TV show, um, which was based on her, her life, the agency. And, you know, whilst it's a caricature of what it was like, there's definitely elements that I can relate to. And it was, 
in its day, probably the best fashion and consumer agency that, that was out there. And when I joined, Lynn Franks had sort of stepped back, but her legacy was still there. Um, and she'd created things like London Fashion Week, the British Fashion Awards, was representing some of the kind of great British and international design talent. But then there was a bit of the agency which was for the less sexy brands, the non-fashion brands, the kind of BTs, the Coca-Colas, who the Lloyds Banks, you know, who all wanted a piece of this excitement. And that's where I found myself, um, working with the brand division, the bit that wasn't the fashionable bit, um, and helping make these big mass market brands a bit more exciting. Um, and it was a fantastic training ground. It was where I met my now partner um, and co-founder of Frank Grown Goodkind, who um, at the time was a director in the division I was working in and latterly the managing director. Um, and we got on very well. And then Lynn Franks um, got acquired by a big international agency um, called Ketchum. And Graham left at that point in time to set up a dot-com, which was a fashionable thing to do in the late 90s. And I decided it would be a good chance for me to continue my career in an agency that was very, very different, much bigger, much more international. Um, and I ended up kind of heading up the sport and entertainment division there, looking after you know all sorts of clients um, and sponsorships ranging from Liverpool Football Club, the England football team, Puma, um, some really great stuff. And then after a couple of years, Graham sort of picked up the phone and we'd obviously stayed in touch during that period. And he said, you know, do you fancy setting up um, a PR agency? To which I said, yes. And that was how Frank was born. And the idea behind Frank and the ethos behind it was to have, you know, Frank isn't a person, it's, it's our approach, which is all about being open, honest, straight to the point, no bullshit. And that's what we were both like as people. Um, if I was to have one sort of disillusionment, if that's a word, um, with the industry at the time, I just felt it was a little bit fluffy. You know, some of the stereotypes that were prevalent, you know, there was some truth behind them. And I just felt, you know, actually, if we can have an agency where our relationships with clients are, are much more on a partnership level than a supplier level that that had to be the basis for a good starting point for an agency and that that ethos has, has stayed alive from you know when we first started and since we've sort of grown to get to where we are today just to go back then to that joining of lynn franks just how did that come about in the first place was going into pr something that you always wanted to do or was that something that you ended up doing and then it's gone from there and if I'm being honest, it kind of happened by accident. I, um, when I was at school, my art teacher at the time said to me that he felt I would be really well suited for a career in advertising. And that was something that I'd sort of clung on to his words. And, you know, whilst I was going through education, I always thought, yeah, advertising sounds cool. Why was that? What was it about your artwork that he thought would make you good for advertising? I think he saw in me creativity um and a love for kind of brands and ideas and you know when i was um doing my art a level i was massively into pop culture and um street art and i don't know he i think you know i was never going to be an accountant or a lawyer <laughs> um so you know it just felt like a a good route for someone that had a kind of creative side to them. So, and the more I researched it and looked into it, I really liked the idea of it. So I was, you know, determined to go into advertising and the process to get into advertising agencies is, is a pretty hardcore process of numerous interviews, application form filling and assessment days. And, you know, I was going through that process and it was just taking a long time and I was getting to various different stages of different graduate schemes and um different kind of interview stages and whilst i was doing that really someone said to me why don't you try pr 
as well. You know, that's very similar, lots of kind of complementary skills and skill sets. So, uh, you know, I didn't really even know what PR was, but I, I was always hungry and determined. And so I, I wrote off to a few different PR agencies at the same time I was going through this ad process. And one of them, Lynn Franks, you know, said to me, would you be interested in coming in and doing some work experience? Um, which I felt was a good opportunity. It was a chance for me to actually understand if PR was something for me and if I liked it. And obviously if I w was any good, you know, maybe they'd offer me a job. And, you know, they say you have luck and you need a bit of luck. And I was lucky because I, with hindsight, Lim Franks was the best possible agency I could have joined at that time for me and what what I could kind of, that would play to my strengths. In what way? In what way was in. it the best? The best. I went way. in and was, was working on some really interesting stuff, and you know, after a few weeks, they offered me a job, and I took it. And that was when the sort of advertising went out the window. I think the thing I realised about PR versus advertising is the pace of PR was much quicker, and I absolutely loved and still do love the fact that you can come up with a creative concept, you know, in the morning and by the afternoon it's gone live and it's out there. And, you know, that pace has just picked up and picked up over the years, you know, with the advent of social media, you know, quite often an idea that we will have at six in the morning or 10 at night is out within an hour, within, you know, if you have good clients that trust you and respond back quickly, you know, that pace of getting stuff out. And in the days when I started, it was different. We used to selling a concept or a story and you'd have to wait for the next day and I would be the person that would be at King's Cross station at midnight when the next day's papers kind of got delivered kind of urgently leafing through the pages desperate to see if the stories have got in and you know now that immediacy has got even more immediate if, if you like you know and, and I love that and you know what advertising can be fast paced but generally you know that turnaround time from a great idea to a reality you know can take months of planning and for me you know a lot of the stuff we do does take a long time and there's a lot of planning and we work on campaigns that can take you know nine months a year to come to fruition but that's balanced with the quicker more tactical faster paced style that PR and digital communications is well suited to. So what was it like then, that, that first week or two when you were doing the work experience um, with Lynn Franks? What was that like just going there for the first time and experiencing this whole new world? And also, what, what did Lynn Franks herself, what did you learn most from her? Well, you know, going in to any work environment when you've never worked in a workplace before is always an eye-opener. and. Really, I didn't have a clue. I turned up in a suit on the first day. Everyone sort of is dressed in these incredibly fashionable outfits. I look like an idiot. <laughs> didn't really know how to work a computer. Didn't know anything about office etiquette or discipline. You know, you learn all these things, but it was exciting. And, you know, there was a huge showroom. There was a dispatch department that was sending stuff out, you know, hundreds of things an hour. It was really young my social life immediately kind of blended into my work life and every night there were launches, there were events, we were doing the PR for the BAFTAs, for the British Fashion Awards. You know, I was you know, literally every night kind of out doing what didn't feel like a job, so it was great. Um, and that to me has always been the key. If you can be in a job that doesn't feel like you're working, it's amazing. I mean, you know, as you know, we spend most of our lives working. So the thought of, it being a chore and clock watching, you know, makes that quite a painful process. But I've been fortunate enough to always be working in an environment where it didn't feel like I was working. And, you know, I love work, always have done. And, you know, I'm not saying every single day is perfect and I kind of skip in and out. But, you know, generally, I love what I do. And I love that, you know, Lynn Franks was what gave me that passion for the industry in the first place and that's stayed alive and the day that dies is probably the day where I kind of take my boots off and retire but fortunately it hasn't happened yet um Lynn herself as I said was kind of stepped back from the business um 
and by the time I started was a non-executive director but her ethos and her approach to work was still very much prevalent within the agency and you know it's, it's a great shame I wish I'd have started my career or could have started my career a few years earlier to have had the chance to work more directly but what I picked up from her, her genius really was the ability to tap into the zeitgeist of what was happening and what was going on and it wasn't about kind of doing it once it had happened it was about seeing where the world was going and what was going on well in advance of it becoming mainstream and then having the ability to take brands on that journey so they were right in tune with the zeitgeist and ahead of the curve in terms of what people wanted and the appetite for consumerism and fashion and you know she was a genius in that respect um and that even though she kind of wasn't there day to day that was very much the culture of Lim Franks and and what it was all about and the ideas and the campaigns that we were doing were you know right up to the moment of what popular culture was was talking about and and discussing and that was a really that was what made it you know the great agency that it was what is it, do you think, that gives some people like Lynn Franks the ability to be ahead of the curve with, you know, whatever's going on at the time, to be the person or the, the people that are able to see things that are coming down the line rather than the things that are happening right now? I think you've got to have an appetite for and a thirst for learning and reading and observing is, is one thing. And, you know, there's lots of things that you know in general the industry will do to tap into what's going on you know whether that be kind of looking at i don't know even things like fashion um trade shows fabric manufacturers motor shows and and looking at those things that are going to be coming out in six months and a year but actually the key to it is sort of seeing where the world is going and taking an educated guess as to where it's going to go from there and then being able to kind of take what you spotted and be able that to apply that to a brand or an organization or a person and, and make it relevant and authentic in terms of how how they can fit in you know you can see trends that are happening at the moment and spiraling and you know the me too um stuff that's that's you know become so massive and female empowerment and you can also see things you know in terms of like the world is very transparent you know there's no room for hiding so consumer backlash and consumers wanting brands to be able to tell a story and have a purpose you know that all these trends that are blowing up at the moment you could see those coming a year ago you know, even though it wasn't on such a big scale and, you know, the, the trick is how to tap into those and be part of that journey. But it, it's a real skill. And, you know, Lynn was pretty exceptional in her ability to do that. Um, there's not very many people that can can do that. And that, that was her strength. Just to go back to you being at school just for a moment again, you was it always art? that you were most interested in or were there other things that you were really interested in back then too? I was always interested. I mean, I, I was never a mathematician. I was never a scientist. Um, it wasn't just the art side of it. I, I, I loved English, whether that was language or literature. Um, but I also liked the business side of things. So, you know, I was always interested in economics and, politics and and current affairs um i did my a levels it was a quite a weird mix was art economics and geography so <laughs> not really sure where the geography came into it but i seem to be quite good at it so i think i did it because it was one that i knew i could get a decent grade in as opposed to having a passion and then when i went to university i I still didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something practical that would be useful and would keep my options open. So I did a degree um, at Manchester University, which was then called 
University of Manchester Institute of Science and Technology, which was in management sciences. So that looked at all different aspects of management from marketing through to economics, through to accounting, um, through to workplace psychology. It was a really, really interesting degree. And, you know, by doing that, as you went through the various sort of um, year one, year two, year three, you started to sort of take it from being very general to a bit more specific. So as I got into my final year, I'd, I was doing PR, I was doing more of the marketing side of things. I always liked the workplace psychology side of things um, and doing less of the stuff, which was the kind of economics end of it, um, because I found that less exciting, I guess. And at that stage, did you have any thoughts of founding or co-founding your own company? Was that something, an idea that was germinating at that stage or was that coming, that wasn't around at that point? No, not at all. I mean, I, I was I was always quite entrepreneurial, although I didn't really know what it was to be an entrepreneur at that time. Um, whilst I was at university together with a couple of friends, we set up a nightclub promotion company putting on student nights and we sort of started doing that in our first year and it got pretty big to the point where you know by the time I left university we were filling up you know big 2,000 3,000 people venues mm. um, and selling out and you know we made quite a lot of money doing it and I actually when I finished universities carried on doing it for about another six nine months it it overlapped with me starting at Lynn Franks. And I look back and I think, wow, that was an amazingly entrepreneurial thing to do. And I funded my way through university and made a decent income while still doing my degree. But at the time, you don't look at things like that. And then I think when, you know, you always have to get a grounding in an industry. I, you know, yes, you could start from day one and learn on the job. But I don't think, I mean, in, in all honesty, when Graham sort of spoke to me about setting up Frank. My initial reaction was, I said to him, I, I feel like I'm not ready yet. I want to, you know, give me another couple of years. Maybe I'll go and work in-house somewhere or try one different agency just to sort of expand my knowledge base. And, you know, Graham quite rightly said to me, you know, you're, you're always going to feel you haven't got enough experience. And I don't feel like I've got enough experience, but, you know, you, you've got enough now. You've proven that you're good at it. You've proven to yourself that, it's something you can do and you enjoy it. So let's just get on with it. And, and, you know, he was right. I could have waited another couple of years, but, you know, so it's getting that balance. You know, I do see people, we have people, I think Frank tends to attract quite entrepreneurial people and we run it very much like as a meritocracy where if you're good enough, you're old enough and we don't put barriers in place of, in terms of people being able to get the right kind of experience and do certain aspects of the job so you do see people that after a couple of years they think oh I can do this on my own now and you know yes I mean there's a lot of people that have been up front that have gone on to build their own agencies do great things but sometimes people do do it a bit too quickly because I think you know you do need to get a certain amount of experience under your belt um, and maturity to, to be able to avoid making quite simple mistakes that you know, some, sometimes, you know, it's only experience that teaches you what, what not to do and what to do. But there's a, there's a real balance. You know, when we started Frank, I'd only been working in the industry for five years. I was um, 26 at the time, which, you know, was really young and I felt young and I almost felt I've got a right to do this. It was completely embarrassing to call myself a managing director because mm -hmm. I didn't really have anything or anyone to manage. I, I I used to wear a suit sometimes just to make myself feel a bit more old and grown <laughs> up. And, you know, I look back at pictures from when we started and I look like a child and, <laughs> and, you know, to a lot of degrees I was, but you know, you learn and I still rightly or wrongly feel relatively young and, you know, to, to be doing this, but it's a young industry and you surround yourself with young people. And I think, you know, when I look at, myself and what I do compared to a lot of my friends who are not in the industry might be kind of in finance or estate agents or whatever you know I've realized that actually my knowledge of 
a really wide array of things, whether it be music or fashion or entertainment, street culture, and, and areas that, you know, blokes traditionally might not have any understanding in, like, hair and makeup or, you know, th th these beauty... You, you pick up a lot of these things, and I think that keeps you young. You know, you, it's, you need to stay on top of trends and what's going on and popular culture, um, which I do, and I, and I love doing. It's not a problem, but it, it, I think it keeps you probably a bit younger than you would be if you were in an agency surrounded by, or in an office surrounded by people that are the same age or older than you, you know, who, who don't kind of get out there and keep in touch with what young people are doing. And the same goes with um, digital trends and, and stuff like that. You know, you need to stay on top of the world and what's going on. So, That's sorry, really can you bear with me one sec? Yeah, sure. Guys, sorry, I'm doing a radio thing. Sorry, <laughs> not very soundproof. Sorry, people playing table tennis. <laughs> That's all right. Is that room, in the next room? It's okay. It was distracting me. It was distracting you. Okay. I couldn't really hear it, so uh, it's fine. But yeah, I don't mind a bit of sound effects if they want to carry on. But if, it's, if it's bothering you, then we'll, we'll, we'll let, make them stop. No, it's fine. It's fine. They've stopped. Okay. Play table tennis later. <laughs> um, I was going to say, it's, it's really interesting that you say that at the time you, uh, well, Graham asked you to come along and help co-found Frank, you really didn't feel... Or at the time, you didn't feel that you were ready to do that. Was that was that really about the experience? You mentioned the lack of experience, or as you felt it was. Is that what the main thing it was about? Or is, is the what? What was the how did it, the decision come about? How did you make the decision to actually go? Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go through with this. Um, I mean, there was a massive part of me from the second he said it that was like, yeah, let's go for it. But. Um, I've always been quite a risk adverse person, even though, you know, if you look at my career and what I've done, it probably doesn't reflect that. But I went through the process, as I often do, of thinking, what's the worst possible thing that can happen? The worst possible thing that can happen is we set it up, it doesn't work, um, and I've gained some experience. I know I'm pretty good at this PR game, and I'll take that experience and I'll either go kind of with my head bowed back to the old agency where I left and say, have me back or uh, go somewhere else. And that was kind of worst case scenario. But I did always, you know, I had the, my heart and my emotions were saying, this is great. It feels right. I can do it. And I also had a belief that we could do it. You know, Graham was and is and remains, you know, one of the most inspirational and, and brightest people that you know I've had the fortune to work alongside. So I had incredible faith in him, um, and I just knew we could do it. I, I had no vision or aspiration of where we could take it to. Um, you know, Graham always says to me he had a reference point that he'd love to get it beyond the size that Lynn Franks was because he'd kind of managed to run a business of that size and we we have gone bigger and beyond where Lynn Franks was in terms of size so you know even today you know he'll often say to me you know it's all new to me as well I've never managed anything of, of this size and scale so you know it's it, I don't know it's you you kind of there was a I mean actually when we first started there was a third person who I wanted to bring on board because um, I felt like I wanted someone else alongside us and that person basically bottled it um, and they're still a good friend of mine today and I mean they've done incredibly well had a, an amazing career actually a different path within PR and they're not in an agency, but they um, they work for some very high-profile people um, and, are, and are completely at the top of their game in terms of what they do. But they've often said to me, you know, 
I wish I'd have done it and had a bit more confidence and been part of the journey. And then, you know, they didn't. But I, I kind of just took that leap of faith. But in all honesty, I did have to go through that process of thinking worst case scenario. And as I said, it's something I often do, you know, when we're thinking about doing something different, making change, you know, I think everyone is naturally resistant and a bit scared of change. But if you take yourself down a thought process of, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? It's never that bad. Um, so, which is normally what leads you to go for something. And But what's important is you, you don't start it off expecting it to fail. You, you've kind of gone through that process in your mind, but you're starting it from a place of, I know I can do this. This is, this is how we do it. So, and and did that process did that process actually involve you you know sitting down with a piece of paper and saying okay these are the the pros and the cons or was it was it as sort of uh, you know direct as that? No, not really, because I think life isn't that complicated. It's you know if you extrapolate something to the worst case scenario, you kind of don't really need to make a list. You just have to kind of play it through in your head. But I've always been lucky to have people around me that are good sounding boards and mentors and my dad's always been one of those people and he's not in the PR industry but is a successful businessman and entrepreneurial and you kind of know with your parents they haven't got any set agenda and actually he was the person that was saying to me even before the opportunity came around you're never going to be able to achieve what you want to achieve in life doing it for someone else you've got to do it yourself and yeah so he'd always instilled that in me but when the frank thing came you know he was a really good sounding board and and there was a couple of other people as well people who i worked with and i trusted their opinion um you know but ultimately whilst i would always take guidance from other people you have to go with what you believe yourself you know, I'd never let anyone else talk me into an opinion. But I think it's good to just make sure you're not doing something blindly, you know, without having thought about it properly. And you know, that's why I often feel like I'm not that entrepreneurial because I'm quite considered in the way that I go about taking risk. I don't just kind of blindly go in and and do stuff and then you know, sometimes that can be a disadvantage too because you don't go for something as much as you probably should you, you do it you either don't do it or you do it in a bit of a half-hearted timid way but I, i'd rather be like that i think it's and it's hard to change your appetite for risk but you need to balance your team around you with a kind of combination of risk takers, risk adverse, and end up somewhere in the middle, which is sensible. So what was the business that your dad runs? And was that always something that he did? And do you think that rubbed off on you a bit, obviously in later when he was advising you on it, but you know, during your school years, was that something you were aware of that running your own business was, was something that was something that to aspire to? Yeah, ish. I mean, he, he was an importer and he imported toys and garden furniture and I had no interest in, to me, that seemed like a really boring thing to do, apart from when I was a kid and used to get toys <laughs> given to me. That was quite good. Um, but I, I think the thing that rubbed off most on me, and it's something that I would love and hope that I will be able to rub off on my kids, is a hard work ethic and he was a he was a grafter and you know i've always believed you don't get anywhere without hard work and i've never been scared of hard work and, and he wasn't either and you know it's not working blindly for the sake of it because no one you, know, you can work really hard and have no talent and be working in the wrong direction and doing the wrong things and you're not going to achieve anything but I've always been a firm believer, you know, if you work hard and you combine that with some natural ability at what you're working hard at and you have a bit of luck at the same time, you know, those three things combined is, for me, that's that's the formula for success. And, and taking any one element away 
breaks that triangle. You know, if if you're talented and lucky, but you don't work hard, I don't think things happen. If you you don't kind of get the luck without putting in the graft and having a bit of talent, you know, if, if you've got talent, but you're lazy and you don't get lucky, you know, I, I do firmly believe all those three things are interconnected. And that's what I saw in my dad. I saw someone that, you know, worked really hard, was clearly very good at what he did. And, you know, luck sounds a bit patronising in, in some ways, but, um, you know, he did get lucky in some of the opportunities that came his way, the deals that he did. But really the, the skill to, you know, people say you make your own luck, which I think is, is very true. But it's, all, it's also about when luck comes your way, knowing what to do with that luck and capitalising on that luck, if that makes sense, which leads back to having some ability to be able to spot it and, and know what to do with it and not just let a kind of bit of luck go your way and pass you by without it having an impact. Yeah, seizing the opportunity, I guess, when it comes exactly. along and being in the right place when it happens. Just take me exactly. back a bit to those those first few days and weeks then when uh, you and Graham had set up Frank. I mean, was it just the two of you? Did you get an office or how did it work those first sort of few days and weeks? There was three of us um, when we started. Um, and the third um, person um, stayed for about four years, roughly, and, and left um, after having her third kid. Um, and so there was the three of us. We, we were in an office which we'd basically done a deal to swap PR for rent. And we were, <laughs> it was with a company which was a spin-off from Telstar, which was called Startle. And what they'd done, it, it was essentially was Spotify, but before the world was ready for Spotify. And they'd archived every single hit record in the top 40 since the top 40 began. And they were digitalizing it and monetizing it. and. We had these state-of-the-art offices, which to this day, the technology was better than the technology that um, we have now. Um, and unfortunately, after about nine months, we walked in to find receivers kind of removing desks and computers and PCs. And that was the end of Startle. And that was the end of our time in, in their office. And then we relocated um, to Chalk Farm and then later on to Camden. Um, which is where we are now. And so what happened then in terms of getting your first clients and who were those first clients and how did they come about? First clients were friends and family. And I think, you know, when you start a business, there's a lot of favours you need to pull and you, you kind of go everywhere and tap up everyone you can and hope that people will have faith in you and support you. But um, our first two clients was Graham's brother-in-laws who had a shop fittings business called shop fittings direct and a friend of mine who had an online um teddy bear company called bluefoot bear company the mail order company for teddy bears so those were our first two clients and that was kind of how we got started and then a few months in we got introduced um long story but to amstrad which was lord sugar's business at the time mm. um, and we did a pitch which we won um, and we Amstrad and which you know, now has sort of evolved into Lord Sugar and his sort of various businesses and apprentice winners has you know has been a client of ours since that kind of day 17 odd years ago um, and we kind of built from there and after about a year we had the opportunity, we got asked to pitch for grill cream. Um, and that was our big break, really. We were, it was the first kind of household name brand that we'd had the chance to go for. And we were up against, you know, some of the best names in the industry. And we went for it and we won it. And I think for us, that was a real turning point. It showed that a brand would trust us to look after them and it gave other brands the the chance to kind of see well if they've gone for them maybe we could too and then from there on it just built and built 
What was it about that Brill Cream pitch, do you think, that made you stand out? I think when you're young and small, you have to play to your strengths. And your strengths are hunger, passion, desire. You know, they knew how important it would be for our business and in turn how much effort and energy we would put put into it. Not that we don't put effort and energy into things now, but it's a different sort of energy. And, you know, we've always been about bold, disruptive, creative ideas. And that was the approach we took for Brokering. And, you know, I won't bore you with the details of what we pitched, but I can still remember what we pitched to them. And it was challenging to their thinking. And I think it was that combination of youth and hunger and appetite for the business combined with you know some quite different thinking that was probably very different to the standard responses that they'd received from more established and renowned agencies and it's something that we try and keep alive today I mean it's it's hard sometimes to have the confidence to really challenge a brief and you know say to a client we don't think what you're asking for is necessarily the best way or the right way um but we always try and do that. I mean, we, we've got Frank above the door. It's our license to be open and honest with clients. It gives a bit of an excuse to do that. So we try, try to do it as often and as much as possible. But, you know, sometimes you're guilty of taking a brief and responding to it literally. And, you know, some of those you don't win. Um, some of them you do. And the work you do, not necessarily as good as it could be or where you want it to be. So it's important to always challenge yourself strategically, creatively, you know, not just kind of take what someone asks you to do as, as being a given and what you have to respond to. Are there any mistakes uh, that you made in those early days that you can think of or that, that, you, that stick with you that have informed what you've done since? Um, were there any key uh, things that you feel you feel like didn't go well, which you took a great deal of learning from? I mean, there's been plenty of mistakes along the way. None of them catastrophic, fortunately. Mm. We'll be speaking now, but um, I mean, I remember in the early days we we started working for a brand who shall remain nameless, and we were doing great work. They were spending loads of money with us. They off the back of the success of a campaign we did, said they wanted to launch in America. Brilliant, flew out to LA, helped them launch in America, making lots of money. I say making in inverted commas, they were spending a lot of money. <laughs> and then one day they'd overextended themselves and they announced that they were um, gonna be put into administration and they owed us a lot of money. And potentially that could have finished us. We were probably a bit too over-enthusiastic and a bit greedy and a bit sort of just excited by the opportunity without stepping back and sort of actually paying attention to how much sort of bills they were racking up, which became quite substantial. And we were fortunate in that we had a good relationship with them and they liked us and we got paid. Um, but there was some hairy sort of days and weeks where we weren't sure if we would and it could have potentially finished us off and you know, that was a huge learning for me and now you know we don't work with clients unless they pay us in advance um, and that's something we implemented from that day onwards and it means that you know we don't rack up debts you know we don't have cash flow issues you know it, it's how it should be um, and I'm sure there's plenty of other learnings along the way you know you kind of learn every day really but um nothing too major that i can think of sounds but like I a very good one to, to learn from that that one about being paid um, <laughs> but i always say to people here you know, don't be afraid to make mistakes you know but if you make them i don't want to see them happen a second time you know you have to learn from from mistakes but you know every great business is had failings, every great business person has, has had failings. It's, you know, actually in America, it always amazes me. They almost celebrate the culture of failure. Um, whereas in the UK, we're a bit more afraid of it and embarrassed by it. And, you know, you, you shouldn't be. It's mistakes 
happen and failures happen but as, as long as you can learn from that and move on from it and and build then that's okay in my mind mm, very important now i know we're, we're pushed for time so i'm gonna i'd like to finish by asking you three questions that i'm asking everyone who i'm speaking to uh, on sure. this so the first one is do you have a routine or a, a special set of circumstances that you uh, follow or a spe special uh, set of a place where you like to work or a set of circumstances that makes enables you to be at your most creative it's a really good question I mean for me it's less about a place and more about a time of the day I know when I'm at my best um, and I think it's really important for people to understand how they operate as human beings, if you like. And, you know, when I'm creatively at my best is first thing in the morning, annoyingly last thing at night as well. Um, but what I do is I try and structure my day. So if I'm having to tackle a brief, a problem, a brainstorm, something that needs focus, creativity, I will make sure I do that first point in the day before I get distracted. And you know, sometimes I do that last thing at night, but obviously with other people around, you know, you need to be a bit um, open to the fact that not everyone works like that. But so it's not, it's less about a place, um, but more about doing things when I feel mentally I'm at my sharpest, um, which is the start of the day. And also at a point in the day where I haven't yet got dragged down by the distractions and the urgencies that inevitably happen um, in day-to-day -day work. Second question, when you look back at your, everything that you've done, it, what is the thing that springs to mind when you think about the thing that you're most proud of? It doesn't have to be the most, that earned the most money or that was the most high profile, but the one thing that you look back on and think, you know, that was a really, a really big achievement personally. Yeah, I've got to say, it's really, really hard to pick out one moment and there's been plenty of them over the years. I mean, the campaigns we've done, I look back and just amazing to think of some of the work that we've pulled off. Um, I think for me personally, maybe we were marketing magazine for years. They've stopped doing it now, awarded agencies of the year. And it was the only awards which was voted for by industry and peers. Um, as opposed to you entering and writing a submission. And we won that for the first time in 2005. And, and that was incredible to be named Agency of the Year. Um, and then we won it again in 2006. And that was the first time any agency had ever done, any PR agency had ever done it two times consecutively. And then we won it a third time in 2010. Um, and for me, that was a real recognition of, you know, we've done something right. It's not us kind of doing our own PR and entering awards and getting lucky. You know, this was the industry naming who they felt was the best agency. So that, that was a personal high. Um, but there's, you know, in terms of the work we've done and the various milestones with the agency, there's lots. And, you know, it's normally the thing we did last that I'm most proud of because you're always kind of done one thing onto the next and I've never been one to sort of rest and be complacent and look back you always have to look forward to what's going to be your next success as opposed to getting too excited about your last one and you can't kind of live in history you have to kind of keep going and that, that's what drives me really is kind of I guess the the desire to achieve the next best thing and also as I sort of said to you earlier you know that kind of nagging fear of will there be a next success you know it's that combination that is my motivation and final question this can be anything like book music box set sport what what is it that you're into right now that's exciting you that you're watching or participating in or listening to what is it that's really well, exciting you at the moment i mean i'm constantly this sounds like the most stupid answer, but I'm excited by everything. I love great ideas, wherever they might come from. And the whole principle of talkability that was the sort of founding ethos of Frank is all about how talkability can come from anywhere and manifest itself in anything. So, you know, I look on a personal level, I love cars, I love 
trainers, they love street art. You know, I've got quite a lot of personal passion points, but what excites me is just great work. And I think, you know, what we're seeing at the moment in, in the industry is some, you know, creativity that is at a massive high. And there's some amazing work going on. Some of it ours, most of it other people's. <laughs> um, and that's what it excites me. You know, the industry is in a great place. And, you know, I think I'm lucky that some of my personal passion points I've, I've had the chance to take them into my profession and bring them in into real life. Um, um, on, a, on a personal level, someone who is my kind of PR hero and that I think is brilliant is Banksy. And I know there's a lot of people that kind of jump on the Banks, Banksy bandwagon and name him as like the best artist ever. From a personal point of view, I like his art, it's clever. But actually, the reason why he fascinates me is this sort of PR enigma that he is. And I think in a world where everyone is overexposed, to have someone that has built their profile and their career out of being anonymous fascinates me. And I love looking at what he does and how he does it. And, you know, I've followed his career since the early days. And, you know, as I say, it's, it's more about him than the artwork although i i like his artwork um, but there are better artists out there in my opinion but he's fairly unique in a world where it's you know quite hard to to be unique so he's uh, my kind of personal pr hero and inspiration if you like great stuff andrew block thank you very much for joining me on creative forces pleasure pleasure thank you for having me